Good morning, church, again. Please have a seat and join me in the reading of the scriptures. Um, Today's reading is from a selection with the first reading coming from Psalm 119, verses 1 to 3. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow in his ways. And from Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12 and 17 to 19. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then 17, down to 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And John 14, verses 5 to 7. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. You know, every day, part of my morning routine involves walking down the stairs, and doing kind of a tour of our main floor of, the, of our row home. I'll go to the front door, open the door, step onto the porch, pick up my paper for the day, and take another step and open the front window, take another step, open the other blind uh, of the window, and as I walk by my couch, I'm pulling out the paper, and then I lay it down on the dining table, and I head past the coffee maker on the counter into our back windows where I raise the blinds, and uh, if I get a chance, I'll see the birds enjoying their breakfast for the morning. I'll t- turn to the left, grab the granola from the pantry, step to the fridge, grab my milk, grab a bowl and spoon, put it on the counter, fill it up, put everything back, go to my dining table, sit down, open up my paper, and enjoy breakfast with the paper. Over the past few months, uh, Julie has asked me, remember that coffee maker I mentioned? I don't drink coffee. But she's asked me to start the coffee maker for her so it's hot 
when she comes down for the morning. Thing is, I forget. I've been doing this routine for four years. And I'll walk by it, and when I do remember, I'll come back, to, I'll sit down on the table and say, oh yes, turn on the coffee machine. It involves pushing one button, that's it. And knowing today I was going to tell the story, I forgot even this morning. That's how challenging it is to introduce a new rhythm into your, a practice into your rhythm. Thankfully, Julia's patience and forgiveness outlasts my forgetfulness. I still do it because I try, I want to be thoughtful to her and her needs. But I'm not perfect. I don't know what your routines are for your morning, and I assume that we all have them, whether you are a little more structured and routine like me, or whether you are more intuitive, perceiving types. We all have rhythms and practices to our lives, whether it's structured or routine, or reactive and unscheduled. And they often become such a routine that they, we don't even have to think about it anymore. We just do them. My morning routine is the same. They became, become second nature to us. You know, as we've been walking through this Abide message series, we've been learning how to abide in Christ and understanding that as a process of formation. And the goal of this union with Christ is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus for the sake of others. And in the first few weeks of the series, we've been describing the what of this process. What does it look like to abide in Christ? And today we're going to transition to the how. We've been learning about a lot of information, and today we're going to talk about the formation. Ideally, as followers of Christ, there are these practices that have been uh, and habits that we can take in to help us in the way of Jesus. So that abiding in Christ, connecting with God, can become like second nature to us. So we're going to talk through this in three stages. One, first is practicing the way. Second is a rule of life. And third is the practices themselves. Practicing the way, a rule of life, and the practices themselves. And as we start this, here are two assumptions I have going in. We are being formed every day, every moment. There is not a moment where we are not being formed. As long as we are breathing, we are formed by our habits. We are formed by what we read, by what we listen to, what we watch. We are formed by what we feed ourselves, whether that's materially, like with food, or emotionally, or spiritually. We are formed by the people we surround ourselves with. We are formed by the stories we're told, and we're formed by the stories we tell ourselves. There is never a moment that you are not being formed. Second assumption. The only choice we have is what, as Jesus followers is whether we are being formed into the likeness of Jesus or unintentionally or intentionally being formed away from Jesus. Those are the only two choices. And we have agency in this formation process. It's revealed in the habits and the practices that we have in our lives. Either to be formed into Jesus' likeness or formed away from Jesus. So think of social media. Think of the language around social media. You have followers, and you follow others. And what do you look at? It's a feed. What are you feeding yourself with? You have a feed that's dependent on these really fast algorithms, faster than your brain, that are determined by who you've clicked to follow, how, what you've clicked in the 
previous what posts you've clicked, and even as you're scrolling, which ones you scroll down to, those will feed the algorithm to what will give you more of the similar things. And even as your feed is even influenced by the search terms you put in a browser in another app. We are being formed continuously and often unknowingly, especially in our technically driven age. And the question is for us, is to what end are we being formed? The word way indicates a path that leads from one place to another. So whether you identify as a Christian or a Catholic or a Protestant or an evangelical or even as a Mennonite, Jesus' followers are called to be apprentices of, in the way of Jesus. Before Jesus shows up, the way of the Lord is described in, by that psalmist in Psalm 119, in the way of the Lord's commands. What does he say there? Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. In verse 3, they do no wrong but follow his ways. When Jesus arrives, he reframes the Lord's Old Testament commands into what is often referred to as the Beatitudes that Julia read for us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. But note how he ends this teaching on the Beatitudes in 5.19. He says, towards the end, Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches. He doesn't just say whoever believes these commands. He doesn't say whoever likes and follows someone that teaches them really nicely. He says whoever practices. That means whoever does them and teaches. That means they believe them. Whoever practices and does what Jesus teaches finds abiding and flourishing life with God. In the Old Testament, God's people were given the Torah as a way of being in relationship with the living God. And in the New Testament, Jesus reframes the Old Testament commands, not saying that's not done away with, it's just being fulfilled in who, who I am, around his character, around his action in the world. And he, re he, re he reiterates this again when Thomas asks, hey, we, we don't know where you're going, Jesus. Show us the way. To which Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't get to God except through Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the life, he's saying, I am the definition of what a vibrant, flourishing life looks like. If you want to know that, then you follow me. That's the telos, the Greek word for end, perfection, completion. That's where you're headed when you walk in the way of Jesus. Jesus is the telos when he says, I am the full, free, satisfying life. The pathway to that life in Jesus is the way and the truth of Jesus. When he says, I am the way, that's a, a term you can say, orthopraxy. It's walking in line with those practices. You see, belief without practice will not result in life. That's, I am the way. And he says, I am the light, a truth. That's orthodoxy in line with truth. See, Jesus had the harshest criticisms for people of his time who did practices, 
without belief in him as the Messiah. The Pharisees were like that. They followed the practices way better than any of us could, but they didn't believe in the truth of who Jesus was. You need the way of Jesus and the uh, truth of Jesus. The way of Jesus plus the truth of Jesus equals the life of Jesus. An invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to follow the ways of Jesus. And we all have practices. Practices form us. The question is to what end? Our practices are informed by who we follow. Jesus' followers' practices are informed by Jesus himself. That's practicing the way. Now, throughout church history, these practices in the way of Jesus have been referred to as spiritual disciplines or a way or a rule of life, more specifically. Now, tracing back to the desert mothers and fathers of the third century, there, are, there have been particular practices that have been lived out by Jesus' followers throughout time that help nurture us in this way of Jesus. And these practices have been modeled by nuns and monks throughout history when they take vows to live a life set apart for God. And while most of us, I think, unless I don't know something about your life, are probably not called to that particular vow as monks and nuns, we can learn from the vows and practices that they have nurtured their life with God. Their example signals a commitment to a way of living, a way of being and moving around in the world that we, would, might, not, we might not choose for ourselves, but we can learn from their practices. You know, during the week, I, when I bike to work from my house, I go down East Capitol East and uh, 14th, and there's a Catholic church there with a nunnery, and usually I, I pass by it about the same time, and about that same time, there's a group of nuns who are walking back from Lincoln Park, maybe after their lunch or doing their afternoon prayers. I, I'm inspired that they have that regularity, and I hope that I can do the same. And I get it. In our comfort-seeking, self-actualizing, commitment-free culture, we bristle at terms like vow, commitment, rule, discipline. I get it. Discipline has been used abusively. Rules and disciplines have applied for the wrong ends. They've been used to uphold unhealthy power dynamics. They've been used to justify self-righteousness. But rules and discipline are not bad in and of themselves. The, purpose, the, the question is, is, to what end do they serve? Practices that serve a goal to be formed in the likeness of Jesus are practices that are healthy for us. But they can be a little bit uncomfortable because they require us to change. They require us to introduce habits that we're not used to doing, even if they're very simple, as much as pressing a button on a coffee maker. They require some immediate sacrifice on our part, but they ultimately lead to a free and fulfilling life with God in Christ. And I hope that we can all, including myself, we can be humble enough to recognize when we either become overly dependent on practices for our sense of closeness to God or self-fulfillment, or when we're being avoiding, when we're avoiding more discipline and practices for our sense of well-being. Taking a vow to a certain way of life can actually lead us to a deeper life in Christ. A German pastor renowned for living faithfully uh, in, uh, to Jesus during the 
the rise of Hitler, was named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he writes, says this to a young couple in connecting of their vows that they're about to make with marriage and love. He says, today you are young and very much in love, and you think that your love can sustain your marriage. It can't. Let your marriage sustain your love. Marriage is the vow, the commitment, the practice that sustains the relationship. David Brooks, author, kind of continues in a similar vein when he says, a commitment is falling in love with something or someone and then building a structure of behavior around it, around that commitment, for those moments when love falters. A vow or a commitment is a container for this vision that you're trying to live out. Just like a marriage vow sustains love within a marriage between a couple, vows are made to a particular life of discipline and practice that become the container for this vision of a flourishing life with God in Christ. A vow is this way of lifting up and offering to God, to offer more of ourselves to God. Now, practices and vows are never the means to proving your love to God or proving your quality of your life with God. It's love, not legalism or fear, that drives us to make vows and commitments to God. And a rule of life helps us incorporate spiritual practices into our lives to nurture our love for God in Christ. And it's especially helpful when our love to God and our faith in God falters, because that happens to all of us. Just like my morning routine I shared with you in the opening of the message, spiritual practices help us develop this muscle memory for our relationship with God. They are the drills that basketball players do to, uh, when they're dribbling and they're shooting. They are the scales and the chords that pianists play to familiarize themselves with the keyboard. They are the guidelines and the skills that artists develop before they create their masterpiece. All of these practices help the behavior become second nature to the practitioner so that each person can be free to express and experience all that a discipline is designed for. And I think it's fitting that Jesus refers to himself as being the vine and his followers as being the branches. For any grapevine to grow well, they will be attached to a trellis here, uh, here on the screen to support its growth. The trellis, though it seems constricting as it's being forced by the farmer to grow up along the trellis, that the farmer ties the vine to the trellis, but this actually enables the trellis to grow strong, I mean the vine to grow strong enough so that, and allows the branches to spread far enough when they're weaker as they're growing, so that it might bear more fruit, ultimately. So it is with our spiritual practices. Now, almost anything can be a spiritual practice, but not everything is a spiritual practice. Almost anything can become a spiritual practice, but not everything is a spiritual practice. The key is, is connecting the gift with the giver. So when I, you see on the screen here, when I ride a bike on a route uh, that I like to take, there's a section of the Anacostia River Trail in Riverdale, Riverdale, Maryland, where I experience a particular closeness with Jesus. This is a picture I took to help me remember that, uh, the first time it happened. 
but it didn't happen. It happened while I was on the on the on the on that particular ride. But it happened because the elders that night were, did a spiritual practice of Emmanuel prayer, where we reviewed the day, and I remembered, oh, this is a moment where God met me. And when I replayed that moment, I just experienced this closeness with Jesus, that Jesus was there enjoying being with me. And he was enjoying me, noticing my joy in him as I was riding my bike in that section of the trail. Now, have I ridden that section of the trail without experiencing that? Of course. But the more I ride that section of the trail, the more I remember God's goodness and pleasure in that moment. And it's one practice that has helped me pay attention to God, even as I'm riding my bike. It's connecting the gift, the gift of my health, the gift of time, the gift of having a bike, with the giver. A pastor who pioneered spiritual formation, Richard Foster, describes spiritual practices as this. Spiritual practices are placing yourself to notice where God can bless you. Spiritual practices are placing yourself in... Um, to, to notice where God can bless you. The power is in placing yourself to be proximate to God. God is always near us, but we're just too preoccupied to notice. And practices help us notice. So what do spiritual practices actually look like? Now, if you grew up in the church, you might be bracing yourself for a list that I'm going to put up and that you're not really doing that well. Or maybe you have this been there, done that attitude towards regular devotional and prayer time that have been kind of the staple of evangelical traditions in recent decades. Or maybe you're exposed to more prepared written prayers and liturgies in the Catholic, Anglican, or Orthodox traditions. And in reaction to all those things, many of us, including myself, have learned, leaned in the other direction and say, well, I don't need to get caught up in legalistic expressions of spirituality. It was toxic and guilt-shaming me. So I take a more mystical, if you've discovered recently, orthodox practices, or I take a more Pentecostal, spirit-filled approach to my relationship with God. And those are great things. But when we use them as an excuse to not do more of these practices, then what we're really saying is we're looking for a sanctified excuse to do what we just really want to do. It's not intentional in its orientation. It's reactive. It's not setting helpful anchors for us so that we might find safe harbor with God. We haven't lived intentionally and developed in, uh, a, a living according to a set of practices that many call a rule of life. And that might feel like more constricting, but we are actually less free because we are beholden to our whims and feelings and circumstances otherwise. And that's why we gather regularly on Sundays, even when it's hard to get out of bed, even when we're arguing with other members of our family in the car before we come here. Our worship service acts to form this overarching structure of prayer, of scripture, and liturgy, to nurture these practices in the ways of Jesus, because we all need help with it. And to make it more tangible, we, we invite everyone to be part of a smaller group in a small group setting where we can know each other and we can be known as we practice the way of Jesus together. 
So here at WCFI, you're just like, what are the practices you're talking about? We're going to suggest the following nine practices to serve as a beginning point for developing a rule of life, particularly in this fast-paced, tech-savvy, information-driven culture that we live in. And this bucket of practices is not exhaustive, but they can become core practices for us to open up our lives, to pay attention to God, and to allow God, God's continued work of transformation in our lives. And so there are these, Sabbath, prayer, fasting, solitude, scripture, community, simplicity, generosity, and hospitality. Nine practices for us to learn how to do and incorporate into our lives. Now, if you're looking at that list, some of you are super DC people, and you're already saying, okay, I got that down. I got that down. I'm not so good at that, but I'm not telling anyone. <laughs> Slow down, okay? These practices aren't intended to measure the quality of your faith or signal how close you are to God. They are simply meant to be offered to God by us as a sign of offering our lives to God, saying, God, would you do with these as you would have as you would wish to do to my life. I simply offer them to you. Do with them as you please. Now, we're going to be learning how to engage in these practices as a community. I'm not going to be, we're not going to do it in the coming days or weeks or even months, but it's in the coming years, all right? Formation in Jesus is what Pastor Eugene um, Peterson says, is a long obedience in the same direction a long obedience in the same direction. We're in a journey. We're going in this direction. Jesus is the life. He's the telos. He's the way and the truth. And we're going to move in that direction. So we don't have to figure it all out. We're just going to take steps wherever you are at in your journey with God. And maybe you're new and you haven't discovered who Jesus is and this sounds compelling. We invite you to take steps together with us because it's in Jesus that we believe we find the most fulfilling life. You know, as you look at this list, consider it, and it's like, man, nine things, I'm not even doing one of those things. How am I going to fit this in my life? But this is meant to be a rule, a rule of life. It's meant to be, look at it as a subtraction rather than as an addition. You're like, how do I do that? You're asking nine things to subtract from my life. I'm not even doing any of them. But see them as a filter for decluttering our lives. A rule of life is Marie Kondo for our spiritual lives. Okay. <laughs> Interspersed over the next two or three years, we're going to learn these practices. One practice over a four-week session. Each message series will focus on one practice, and we're going to have small group resources for you to learn how to develop that practice for yourself. It doesn't have to look like everyone else, but it's inviting all of us to take one step, a few steps forward in those practices. And each message series will be accompanied by small group resources. I think there's a podcast that's available too to help you develop a practice for yourself. And we're all invited to join along. I need help with that too. And for each week in the series, we're going to learn. Here's this process. We're going to gather on Sundays and then on small groups. We're going to learn what it means to do that practice. We're going to practice it during the week, and then we'll come back and reflect 
on that practice and reiterate and reiterate and hopefully build that practice into our lives so that it becomes second nature to us and we can pay attention to God. We'll begin this next week with the first practice, the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath, if you're not familiar, is that one day of the week where God rested and invites us to do the same. Theologically, why we're doing Sabbath? Because God modeled it in creation, and actually Sabbath is the telos of all creation, where creation, the entire universe, will be at rest with God. And practically, Sabbath is because we live in such a fast-paced, on-demand culture. We need all the help we can get to help us slow down and stop and rest and breathe and find delight and worship with God. If you're not part of a small group, talk to Jess. She's not here this morning, but our minister for community life. And consider joining a small group, even if it's just for four weeks, to learn how to practice this in relationship with others. We aren't meant to do this alone. Jess will also, if you can't make that, Jess is doing a midweek online gathering to help us develop these practices, this practice of Sabbath starting the following week. So we want to resource you in all these ways. There's a guide, there's small groups, there's Sundays, and there's podcasts, all these things to help you find ways to get Sabbath a little more in, into your life and in your household. We all need help practicing it the way of Jesus. We can't do it alone. Will you join us in this journey of formation? Practicing the way involves, it requires us stepping out of our comfort zone. I get it. But what we discover is that we step into a comfort zone with Jesus that changes our lives and changes the world. We become formed in the likeness of Christ for the sake of others. We become people of less anxious concern, as we've been learning over the previous weeks, and increasing yielded radical trust to God. We become people of love. This is the journey that Jesus invites you and I on. And we're not going to have it all figured out, but I invite us to head in the same direction together. And I hope you'll come alongside with me and with Jesus. Let's pray. God, I confess that all this talk of rule and discipline and practice, it raises negative feelings in me. It's difficult to think of them as positive and creative dimensions of my relationship with you. So help me. Help all of us. Help all of us to see them as a means of your grace at work in our lives. And help us to receive all that you have for us through these practices. May we be led to complete freedom and healing in your love. Because that's really what we're created for. We ask these things in the strong and faithful name of Jesus, your son. Amen.